Hi, welcome to Candidate, real conversations with women running for office. I'm your host, Devin Handy. Normally, I host Hellbent Podcast, but I've teamed up with Emily's List to bring you conversations with women running for office all over the country. Sadly, today is our last candidate episode. Next week, I will be sitting down with the executive director of Emily's List, Emily Kane, to talk about this election season and what these midterms have meant and the record number of women who have run, who have reached out, who are continuing to reach out and kind of what to do next. You know, we're about to be over with this cycle and it's hard to know where to go next. But today I interview two final candidates, January Contreras, who is running for attorney general in Arizona and Deb Holland, who is running for Congress out of New Mexico's first district. Both are women of color, and it, and both are bringing something unique to the table. It is so important that our government accurately represents who we are as a nation. And unfortunately, that isn't happening right now. As I'm sure you all know, Congress is about 20% women, and the number of women of color is abysmal. So, as we move forward, it is important that we elect not only women, but women of color, people from all different types of backgrounds, so that we get not only gender parity, but parity on all levels. So, these two extraordinary women are, are running and changing the narrative. So, you know, as sad as I am to close this series of interviews, I think these two women are the perfect ones to do it. Because as they both say, it's about the new voices and bringing something new to a system that hasn't been working. And in order to change it, we have to change the way we see candidates and who we want to run, who we want to represent ourselves. And that's part of what's been such a joy about working with Emily's List is that they support candidates from all backgrounds, all races, all religion, all states, all positions. And it's with that holistic approach that we will eventually get a truly representative government. Our guest today is January Contreras. She is running for Attorney General of Arizona. January, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I want to really ask you about representation and the fact that there are really not that many women of color in elected politics. And has that been something that you feel has been an obstacle for you? Do you feel like you're viewed differently because of that? I wouldn't say that I feel it's been an obstacle because of that, but I'm running for attorney general, for example, which, um, you know, a lot of people associate with a man. Um, I'm, I'm running in a state where, um, you know, we have a very large and, um, long-standing, you know, roots uh, of Mexican-American families in Arizona. But people aren't always used to seeing them um, in the attorney general role. And so I think it's it's sort of the what people automatically have, the picture that pops up in their head when they see an attorney general um, isn't often going to be a woman. It isn't often going to be a person of color. And so it's this 
opportunity to help people understand, you know, the work that so many people have been doing who don't look like um, the picture that may pop in their head instinctively. I right. think that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of, of you know, when you're in school and they say, think of a tree and draw a tree. And it's just like a very basic uh, brown trunk, green fluffy stuff and then that's just kind of what you see and you can't really think outside of that so right right yeah so so have you run your campaign differently because of that picture that that people have when they think of attorney general well it is interesting because you'll get um as a candidate you know there's so many people that want to share advice and um sometimes it's you know you need to be tough you need to show, you know, that you're, you know, the, the, the very, bring out the most masculinity in yourself. Right. Um, and we decided early on that it's important to be who I am, authentic, because I am tough. Right. Um, but I don't need to get up and bolster and bang my fist on the podium. Um, you know, all people need to do is look at my background. I've been a county prosecutor, an assistant attorney general. I started a legal aid organization and have represented um, many young women and girls and youth and kids uh, who have been in the the worst of situations uh, and stood next to them in court with their abuser standing on the other side. Uh, and you know, those are may not be the again the instinctive uh, picture that someone has in their head of toughness. But I'll tell you, um, you know, I've taken on some really tough cases, and I'm incredibly proud of them. And when I'm standing next to clients, many who are women or girls who have been traumatized in really horrible ways, you bet it brings out the toughness in me. Uh, I don't need to pretend to be something I'm not, because it it is there, even if it looks different. Right. I I feel like a lot of of women can't, candidates run into that where there's kind of this catch-22 of being authentic what is authenticity being viewed as too masculine or too feminine or too tough or not tough enough and I really like how you put this how a person's picture of toughness is similar to the picture of an attorney general where just because it doesn't look like you think it looks doesn't mean it's not tough so have you found a lot of pushback or criticism of how you've run your campaign have you heard oh you're a woman you're too emotional or you're a woman and you're too aggressive and and unlikable have you have you found, have you been in that dichotomy a little bit no i can't say that we've experienced that yet i mean we're getting into the you know much more the stage of the election where there's many more eyes on it um, and there's, it's a very close race. And so we don't know, you know, what will come at us from our opposition. But I really haven't. Uh, I think that people, uh, once they understand what that is um, that I've been doing in my career, whether as a prosecutor or an advisor to Napolitano, I worked on violence against women issues in the Obama administration or the legal aid um, you know, people really put that together, and for the most part, what I get are comments about, you know, thank you. Thank you for dedicating so much of your life to public service. Uh, and so I haven't seen that yet. I, I wonder, 
you know, I, I speak to a lot of women who are running for Congress or other sort of representation seats. And I feel like not even all states elect attorney generals, right? No, some appoint them. That's right. Right. So so I feel like this is sort of a different kind of race. Have you found that that people don't really understand what electing an attorney general means or that it's it's do you think maybe that's why it's less contentious because it's it's not representational and or or it's not directly representational and people it's kind of a, a an abstract concept. Well, I, I, yes, in a way that where most of the people you're voting for, you can see their their vote record, for example, right? A yes or a no. What did they stand for? You can see in a governor, you know, what did they sign? What did they veto? Um, when it comes to the attorney general, you're absolutely right that there are lots of people who are more curious about well, how does the attorney general affect me? Uh, and so, you know, I have to bring people's attention to legal briefs, which can be, you know, sound terribly snooze fest, right? Um, but but that's where the proof is. It, you know, we have on our webpage some of the legal briefs that have been filed by the, my opposition, uh, you know, and it's trying to defend ExxonMobil when they didn't want to comply with an investigation. It's suing to eliminate protection for people with pre-existing health conditions. It's defending the secrecy of dark money donors. Uh, even in, in one case, um, joining a lawsuit so that a survivor of sexual assault wouldn't be able to go to court under Title IX. Uh, you know, in each of those cases that, that, are, that have already been decided, he lost. Uh, and, and the people that he filed with, they lost. The only one still pending is around will protections for people with pre-existing health conditions be gutted. Um, but, but, you know, that's why I bring people's attention to these are some of the ways that, in fact, the attorney general can impact what's happening in our state and around the country. Uh, and so as boring as a legal brief may be, that's the heart of where you'll see the values of who you're electing as your attorney general. Right. I mean, a lot of these issues that you're talking about are being talked about in terms of running for Congress or the Senate and and more, with more direct representation. But these are definitely issues that affect the law and the the citizens of your of your state. And it, it's very interesting to hear it kind of from another side. So not so much the the legislation side, but rather the legal side and how those two right. definitely work together. There really aren't that many just women in in elected positions. And then obviously the number of women of color is even smaller. And I really think that's at that that's to our detriment. So do you feel that you'll bring that different perspective or that it's it, it, it's important not just for, you know, to give it lip service, but but to actually bring in different points of view. I, I think almost all of us agree that our government's going to serve people better um, when they have, uh, you know, different voices at the table. And I certainly think that um, that's true in Arizona. When we are able to bring forward, um, you know, people who look different, people who pray differently, people who, um, you know, love differently, people who, you know, all these things, uh, have different backgrounds, rural versus urban, um, the the better we're able to bring voices that reflect the, the 
entire state in Arizona, the better off the state government will be. I do think that's true. Uh, and I think there's a lot of excitement around just new faces coming forward, um, you know, with, with being who are being authentic, who are being honest brokers uh, and not beholden to the same big money donors that so many of the current elected officials are beholden to. Uh, and so I, I think part of, you know, the excitement around new faces coming forward and women and women of color and moms and, you know, all, all these stories, gun violence victims. I mean, you're, you're, I read these stories and I'm inspired by them. And I, I think most people are because it's people who are moving forward to have a seat at the table um, who are just living their lives, trying to do good work in the community, trying to raise their families, but who have reached this point where they recognize that their voice is needed uh, in government. And that's certainly been true for me. What what has been the the most surprising thing about running for this position? Like either on the campaign trail or something that you've learned or something that you didn't expect just, you know, doing, you know, the, taking on a campaign is a huge deal. Is there something that's been particularly surprising? Um, I would say, you know, on the shocking side, the extent to which these a pretty small group of very big donors has so much control. I, I just, you know, I knew, I've heard about dirty money in politics, but boy, I just didn't uh, have a sense of the scope and the depth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, it's, it's so deep. And so that's been... Um, it really has been a surprise. On the good side, I would say, um, you know, just getting out across the state and meeting people and listening to people. Um, for me, it's been such an amazing experience. This is my home. I'm a fourth-generation Arizonan, and so it's been very nostalgic. You know, my grandfather, my tata, used to just pile us in his suburban and drive us all over every corner of the state. Uh, and it's so it's been bringing back beautiful memories. But it doesn't matter if someone's, you know, a, on a tribal nation, if they're in a big city, if they're in a small town, the concerns that weigh on them and the the either their ability to maintain hope or those who are feeling a little hopeless, um, the extent to which I deep in their emotions um, has been surprising to me. And it's been amazing because that's what keeps me going, quite frankly. It's, you know, we work so hard, but those experiences re-inspire me every day. And and do you feel that, that, you know, you're saying that you go to these different communities and and the things that weigh on them are heavy and, and maybe similar. And then, I mean, do you think that, these issues are just ignored by the current AG or just not understood or they just don't care? Uh, you know, I, I often wonder that myself. I, I, I like to be a devil's advocate, but I, I watch, uh, you know, the current attorney general do to eliminate health care for people. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how is it on this uh, planet Earth that an attorney general who's supposed to be the lawyer for the people is actually working against them, yeah. um, and and what I see is just the the, the alliance with the 
donors um, controls a lot. And, you know, I think that's in part why all the work that could be being done um, isn't always done. Now, I, I want to mention, I mean, the, the Attorney General's office itself is full of very good lawyers right. who are there, not for political reasons, but because they believe in their job. Um, right. But when you have that amazing privilege of being the leader at the top, the Attorney General, every day should be focused on how do I better serve the people of Arizona, um, not how do I protect dark money donors, how do I you know, get rid of pre-existing condition guarantees, how do I help ExxonMobil get out of their latest investigation. Um, you know, those are just so far and away not about the people that he's elected to serve. And that will be incredibly different on my watch. Well, January, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us. Um, Very enlightening. Like I said, you know, not a lot of people think about the fact that some states elect attorney generals. And so it's been so fascinating to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for what you're doing and being out there and making sure voices are heard. Of course, of course. Well, good luck on the campaign trail. We're we're at the, the sprint portion of the midterms, as I like to say. We are. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Our guest today is Deb Holland. She is running for Congress in New Mexico's 1st District. And if elected, she would be the first Native American woman elected to Congress. So, Deb, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I like like I mentioned, if elected, you would be the first Native American woman. And I, I watched one of your campaign ads, and I and I really liked something you said. You said Congress has never heard a voice like mine. Right. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, I really liked that. So what what were you referring to specifically when when you said that? Right, that there's never Congress has never heard a voice like mine because there's never been a Native American woman in Congress right. in 240 years. Uh, we haven't elected a Native American woman to Congress and this year we actually uh, have the the stark possibility of electing two. So that's right. exciting. <laughs> yeah, that is really exciting. And so what what would your voice be? What what would you bring to the table that hasn't been there? Because obviously we are missing huge swaths of representation and diversity in government. So what what would you what would your voice bring? Absolutely. Well of course representation matters. It's um I mean, not only have we never had a Native American woman in Congress, uh, w- with respect to, to my candidacy, I'm a single mom. I've had to piece together health care for my, for me and my child over the years. Uh, I had to rely on food stamps for a time. Um, my daughter was, you know, there with me when I graduated from law school. She, um, I mean, you know, it, it hasn't been an easy road for us, but we've persevered. Both of us have, are paying off our student loans right now. But look, <laughs> we, uh, you know, I, I, we have that in common. Um, uh, I just feel like there, there's also a lack of folks in Congress who, right, who have understood what it's like to struggle like that. Right. So I think that, you know, our voice is important for that reason. I, I have struggled the same way that, you know, a vast majority of New Mexicans have, not only in my district, but across the state. So I bring that voice 
to Congress as well, right? I mean, I'm gonna, I, I'm sitting there, and if uh, if the you know if the Republicans try to knock people off food stamps and Medicaid, I know what it's like to to have both of those things. So I can be a staunch um, advocate to make sure that people aren't losing the things that will actually help them get through a, a rough time in their lives. Right. So. Right. So I'm anxious to to stand up for um, not only for my fellow New Mexicans, but for people across the country. Right. Yeah. A, you kind of have a broad range of experiences that are seriously lacking in current representation. Yes. Yes. There's something like, you know, you probably saw this Facebook poll going around or the pie, you know, series of pie charts. And one of them is like millionaires in the United States, 3%. Millionaires in Congress, thirty percent, or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. In <laughs> uh, the same way with women, right? There's fifty percent of our population, but only thirteen percent of elected, um, you know, women in Congress. So, uh, so I feel like you know we're going to help even some of those some of those pie charts out. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. So, <laughs> I really think. Broadly speaking, you know, like you said, really combined with Congress and the Senate, nineteen percent are, are women, and and the number of women of color is like abysmal. So, you know, it, it's definitely a lack of representation. So, why not just for the things that you've gone through, but I mean, even just. It, it from from a, a a role model standpoint, or this idea that you can't be what you can't see. What like do you feel that you you know you're and other women of color in these positions of government will do more than just bring this diverse voice to policymaking? Absolutely, yes. Because I think there's a lot of us who come from different backgrounds too, right? right. I mean. Um, I'm an organizer, for example. I, I have a law degree, but I've worked on lots and lots of campaigns. I've, I've organized for close to the last 20 years, getting people registered into the polls, and working in underrepresented communities so that they have a voice in our political process. And so, um, I mean, I, I just I feel like that I can be effective as a member of Congress. Um, you know, we're working to organize support for, you know, the things that we want to fight for and, and, uh, and win. Right. So, um, I think, I think the more backgrounds we have, the more perspectives we have, the more, you know, personal histories that we have, uh, that are different, um, we'll be able to get together and really find solutions to the issues that, that we need to. Yeah. In, using your voice and because it's different and because it's new and Congress has never heard it before, what are some of the issues or what are some takes on the issues that are different and that you would bring to the table differently? Well, I mean, I mean, even with respect to my Native American um, background, I mean, I've, I've studied Indian history. I have uh, I mean, I, I totally understand. I've worked at, uh, I was a tribal administrator at a tribe here in New Mexico for a number of years, worked on um, the federal programs, managed the federal programs that the tribe had. 
I feel like I I understand how the federal government works, um, and that you know that sort of gives me a, a, a unique perspective as well because I'm sort of on the receiving end of like appropriations and things like that, right? So um, so I think it helps that knowledge in and of itself helps me to understand you know if I'm if I'm on the other end, right? what it is that these communities need and what they can put to work for themselves and how, um, how, you know, sometimes, um, you know, op- opening it up to allowing these communities to, to use the funding um, maybe in a different way that's unique to their community would be a helpful thing. Um, also, I, I was a service provider. I, I, was, I ran a service provider for mentally disabled adults. Uh, for a, uh, a couple years here in Albuquerque, and um, you know, it helps me to to, rem- to realize how important it is that people get their Social Security benefits and their Medicaid benefits, and and so you know, whenever they're working to uh, privatize Social Security, I'm completely against that because I I understand you know how that works and how it actually benefits people on the other side. So I, I feel like my, you know, the work experience I've had is definitely uh, giving me a, an inside look. Um, you know, I, being on one end, um, uh, the, sort of the receiving end, if you will, and then um, moving up and, and being on the other end, I just feel like I have a, a good grasp of, of how we'll be able to help uh, people when I get to D.C. Right. It's actually interesting. I also worked at a home for developmentally disabled adults when I was in college. So mm-hmm. I, I know intimately how important Social Security is. So what is an issue that affects New Mexico that isn't getting a lot of national coverage? Obviously, right now, the media is a little overwhelmed. And there is a lot of rhetoric, especially because we're so close to the midterms. But, but what is something that you found in your campaign and talking to your constituent, you know, talking to your neighbors, what's something you found that, that people in New Mexico, people in your district are, are really needing or, or concerned about that maybe isn't getting the the kind of attention that, that some of the bigger issues are. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I really wish more, we'd be talking more about climate change and renewable energy, a place like New Mexico with over 310 days of sun per year, we could be a global leader in renewable energy. And I, I would really love to talk more about that, right. Than than all of these crazy things that our president decides, is important, you know, hijacking the media every single day. Um, but, you know, there are people right here in my district who uh, who need health care. I was talking to a woman at one of my events a couple weeks ago. Uh, she's in severe pain. Her legs are swollen. She, she can hardly walk any day of the week. And um, she's afraid to go to the doctor. Uh, or to apply for Medicaid because she's in default on her student loans because she hasn't been able to work because she's in so much pain every day. So with this catch-22 with with a member, you know, of my community uh, who really needs to be helped, right? She she needs to have health care so she can make herself better so that she can be an active member of our society. Some people find themselves in these predicaments and 
um, it, it almost seems like they're so worried and scared about the repercussions that um, they're afraid to help themselves. So I'm, I'm hoping that we, you know, that I can shine a light on some of these cases. And certainly uh, when I am um, in, you know, when I am an, a member of Congress, I want to ensure that my constituent services program uh, will help people like her. Um, you know, today is the first day of open enrollment uh, for the Affordable Care Act. And um, I heard it on NPR this morning. I, I wish that that was making the big news, right? I, I, I want people to, we need to all have health care. That, uh, that is such a priority in our country and one that, that just doesn't get enough um, attention. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an excellent point. And it, you're right, seeing the constituent services and, and serving on such a, a granular level is something great. So since, Absolutely. Yeah. So since we're so close to the midterms, uh, like days, like five minutes or so, what has been theme of your campaign? And, and what's your closing message? What, what, do, what do you want to say? So, you know, this, really the theme of my campaign has been um, uh, that I know what it's like to struggle, right? I'm, I am like, I am like, Almost every New Mexican I've ever met, right? I, I, I was raised in a middle class family. Our middle class is evaporating before our eyes. Um, people, you know, people are struggling out there and they, we need to find a better way forward. And that starts with, uh, quality public school education, making sure that we can find debt free college for, um, kids that graduate from our public high schools and 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 everywhere, of course, um, that we need. You know, we need to um, care that everyone has health care. That we are working to care about our environment. Those are all the things that I sort of run on. Um, our closing message really is um, that we're doing this for the people. We uh, have a responsibility to our society our communities you know uh, you have you know you live in a smaller community but when you think about um the greatness of our country and why uh all of us should want to do everything that we do for the people and it's for for all the people not for the top one percent not for the rich corporations not just for uh folks who you know get the big tax breaks in our country it should be for all of us that all of us um, have a way forward. All of us have a way to succeed in this country. And it starts with, you know, with a lot of these things that I've been fighting for uh, throughout my campaign and for years prior to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Deb, good luck in these last few days. Thank you yes. so much. Thank, Thank you so much. We're excited. Yes. Um, you know, every day it's about how many people can we get to the polls. Right. I want as many people to participate in this election as possible, and I hope that happens across the country. Yes, absolutely. Well... Thank you so much. Congratulations on your run. And we will be rooting for you on Tuesday. So thank you Excellent. so much again. Thank you again. All right. Really appreciate the time to chat with yeah. you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That is it for me. Like I said, those were our last two candidate interviews, unfortunately, but they were great ones to have last. So fascinating. 
so wonderful to talk to, to both January and Deb. So next week, our last episode will come out the very early in the morning before uh, before it's time to vote. So you'll have a soundtrack, as it were, to go vote with. But uh, this has been an incredible journey. And I thank you all so much for listening. So join us next week to talk about this historic election cycle and what comes next.